Please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, Matthew 25, 14 through 30, the parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold, and look, I've, I've gained five more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I promise he's not that bad. You're going to find out he's not that bad. Have a seat, please. Thank you. Thanks, Franny. <laughs> Good morning. So we're continuing in this series of outreach. Uh, the last couple weeks, we've been looking at this issue. How can we share God's love where we live, where we work, and where we play? So we spent two weeks talking about where we live, our our neighborhoods as a context for sharing God's love. And then the last two weeks, we've talked about work, however you would define work for you in this stage of your life, as this context where we have an opportunity to love people, uh, to share God's love with them. And today, we're going to move on to this context of what I'm calling play. We're just going to spend one week on this. Uh, By play, what I'm thinking of is two things. One is, what are your passions? What are the things you're interested in, your hobbies, the things you already love to do? What are your passions? And then secondly, what are your places? What are those places besides home and work that you find yourself 
in regularly, and how could those spaces become contexts of ministry, of, of loving people, of making the most of the opportunities that God presents for you in those places. So we're going to come back to that idea, that context at the end, but I want to spend some time walking through this parable, uh, a very famous parable. Most of us know it as the parable of the talents, right? Uh, France translation has bags of gold, but the parable of the talents, these sums of money. And I just want to acknowledge up front that uh, most of us probably haven't thought of this as an outreach passage, right? Um, the story is this wealthy guy, right? He's going to go on a trip and he is entrusting his wealth, his resources to his servants. And he's gone for a while. And, he, and when he comes back, he says, How, how'd you do? How'd you invest my stuff in a way that, you know, how, how did that go? And the usual application is uh, appropriate that Jesus is comparing himself to this wealthy man, and he's entrusted all these things to us. Uh, he's gone on a long trip. Now it's been 2,000 years and counting, very long trip. And he's going to return, and we're going to give an account for what we did with his stuff. And so we think of it as this parable about being responsible with what we've been entrusted with, and it, it absolutely is that. But I think it actually is relevant to uh, outreach, because when you think about this parable, what is the master wanting them to do? He's wanting them to expand his kingdom. He's wanting them to expand his wealth, his resources. And that's essentially what Jesus is wanting too. He's saying, I- I've left and my kingdom's a certain size. I'm entrusting various parts of it to you. But when I come back, I, I want to see that my kingdom has grown. I want to see that my resources have been expanded by how you've dealt with what I've given you. Well, that happens, obviously, as we use whatever God has given us to to try to impact people for his kingdom so that more people are coming to faith and and his kingdom is expanding. So I think on a closer look, it actually is very relevant to the topic of outreach, though I think it also has other applications. So I want to talk about this parable and and then apply it to outreach specifically to that context of of these, these passions that God has entrusted to us, and even these places that we find ourselves in that he's placed us in, and how do we do that well? All right, so let's, let's jump into this parable. Uh, I'm not going to go verse by verse, but I want to ask two basic questions today. First, what, what, do, what do we learn about this master? Who is this guy? And then secondly, what is the key difference between the three servants that he entrusts his wealth to? All right, I think those, that gets at the heart of this parable. So let's start with this master. What do we learn about this guy? I'd be curious, how, how do you feel about this guy uh, as you read this? Um, Fran obviously doesn't like him very much. It's clear. Uh, it ends dark, no doubt. But I, I think th- there are some good things to say. Jesus is obviously comparing himself to this master. I don't think he's saying, I'm exactly like this master. But there's some parallel there. So we're supposed to see him as a picture of Jesus in some way. So I I just want to help us get inside. Who is this guy? What do we learn about him in this parable? And how does that impact how we live our lives? So a couple things I notice that you maybe wouldn't think about in the first reading. First thing about this guy is he's an incredibly generous man. Okay. Uh, Verse 15, he gives, he gives a lot of his wealth to these servants, right? Uh, he gives five talents to one, two talents to another, one talent to another. A lot of debate about how much is a talent, but everybody says a talent is a lot of money. The research I've done, the, the contemporary uh, amount would be somewhere between 100,000 and a million bucks. Okay, I know that's a wide range, um, but it's a lot of money. That's just one talent. 
So first thing we learn about this guy, he's a really generous guy. He gives a lot of his stuff over to his servants. And when they do things with it, when he comes back, his reward for them doing well is actually to hand over more of his stuff. You've been faithful with a little, I'll put you in charge of a lot. So this guy's a generous guy. Second, uh, he's a risk taker. Okay? He entrusts a lot of his stuff to his servants. Uh, and apparently he believes in these guys. He thinks that they can deal responsibly with his wealth. And what struck me this week is he does not micromanage them at all, right? He doesn't tell them, I want you to invest this, 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 like that. He says, no, no, here's my stuff. You go figure it out. You go do it. He's a risk taker. He's taking a risk on these three guys. Another thing I notice, uh, he's a very powerful man, okay? If you look at his description of himself and look at verse 26, First, he talks to this third servant, you wicked, lazy servant. But then he describes himself this way. So you knew, follow this, that I harvest where I haven't sown and I gather where I haven't scattered seed. He's acknowledging that is true about who he is. He's the kind of businessman that can kind of turn a profit out of thin air, right? Like, hey, he's a kind of wealthy entrepreneur who like, and you know people like this, maybe you're like this, who, who seem to be able to make money without working very, like they, they just, they've got a lot of resources and they can kind of just make things happen. You're like, you didn't work hard for that money, but you just made a lot of money, right? In first century, you didn't even scatter that seed, but you're harvesting where you didn't scatter. So he's a very powerful guy. He's got lots of resources. Fourth, this probably wouldn't occur to you uh, when you first read it. I think he's a joyful man. The joy, of course, comes out when he returns and his first two servants tell him what he's done. And he answers the same way to both of them. Look at verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. He's a joyful guy. He wants to share his joy with his servants. And then finally, last thing I want to point out, uh, he knows his servants. He knows them well. He knows them individually. And I say that because in verse 15, it shows he doesn't give them all the same amount of talents. He gives one five. He gives one two. He gives one one. It says, each according to his ability. So he knows his servants. He knows what they're capable of. He knows the ones that can handle a lot. He knows the ones that can handle a little. And he's fine with that. He knows them. And he doesn't compare them to each other. Okay, he deals with them individually according to what they can handle. It's really interesting. Uh, if you look at, when, again, when he comes back, the guy who made five, uh, took the five talents, he says, Master, I took five, I gained five more. You know, here's ten talents for you. And the man's response is, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he comes to the guy who he gave two to, and he says, you gave me two, I gained two more. Here's four talents. Exact same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, hey, this guy made ten. Why couldn't you make ten? Now, he knows what they can do, and he's only hold them, holding them accountable to what he knows they're capable of. They are not all equal in that regard. Some of them are capable of more, and he gets that. And he has, he has room for them to be themselves. All right, so I think, you know, Jesus is in some ways comparing himself to this man. And, and this is who our Lord is. He's a generous Lord. He is entrusted all sorts of things to us, financial resources, relational resources, opportunities. He's given us so many things, and he's a risk taker. He is. He's not cautious. 
He doesn't micromanage. He doesn't tell us, here's exactly how I want you to invest my resources. No, no. Go out. Do it. Figure it out. Go. Try. Expand my kingdom. But he takes risks on folks like you and me. It's who he is. Uh, He's a very powerful guy. Okay? He invites us to participate in the building of his kingdom, but he doesn't need us. He can drum up resources out of thin air, like this businessman. He can harvest where it doesn't appear that he's even sown. Okay? He can do, he has unlimited resources, and yet he engages us. And he, he includes us in that. He's a very joyful master, of course, and he wants to share his joy with us. He wants us to experience his joy. And he knows his servants. He knows each one of us by name. He's not, a, he's not asking us to be what another of his servants is. He's just asking us to be faithful with what he's entrusted to us. And apparently, he knows how much each one of us can handle. That's not the same for all of us. And he's fine with that. All right, so that's who this, this guy is. That's who our Lord is. It has all sorts of implications for us. Second question I wanted to ask is, what is the key difference between these three servants and their perspective and their action. I think this really gets at the heart of this case. Okay? So what is the difference between these three guys? Uh, you have the first two, of course, who act very similarly, and then the third who's very different. So let's look at the first two for a second. Look at verse 16. They've received their talents or their bags of gold from their master. Verse 16, the man who had received the five talents, he went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. Okay, uh, Three action words. He went immediately, he put it to work, and he gained five more. These are almost aggressive words. They're, they're initiating words. This guy goes out and immediately does something with it. And that's exactly what the second uh, servant does. And again, we're not told how they invested their master's wealth. We don't know if they, you know, put it in the market, if they went into, you know, first century Middle Eastern real estate, if they got into bonds, if they were lenders. We don't know. It doesn't say. Apparently, it doesn't really matter. But they, they just were proactive. They went out and they invested. And when the master comes back with both of them, you get their sense of joy and even pride in what they've done, right? Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settles account, settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. Look, I have gained five more. There's a sense of joy, pride. I went out, I did it, and here's the gain that I received. Now, uh, reading between the lines a little bit, my take is, for these two guys, it was their view of their master that led them to do what they did and led them to do it how they did it. They realized our master is, he's an investor, that's, that's the kind of guy is he's wealthy, he's generous, he's joyful, he's an entrepreneur, he's a risk taker. He's an investor who wants to grow his kingdom. And so we're going to go out and respond in kind. We're going to go out. We're going to take some risks. We're going to be proactive. We're going to see what happens. And in both cases, it turns out well for them. But their view of who the master is, is this investor, this guy who wants to build his wealth, leads them to go out and take some risks and invest and see what happens. And then you've got the third servant who, of course, as you know, has a very different response. Let's look at verse 18. He starts with less uh, talents, just one talent, but that really doesn't matter. Uh, Verse 18, but the man who had received the one talent, he went off, 
dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Okay, again, three actions that are very different than the other two guys' actions. He doesn't go out. He kind of withdraws, goes off, and he digs a hole, and he hides his master's money. Very different response, and I think the different response comes because he has a very different view of his master. And this gets to, the, I think, the essence of the parable. Okay? He has the same information as those other two guys, but he interprets it differently, and he has a very different view of the master. And we get, he actually reveals his review of the master in verse 24. Okay, Take a look. When the master comes back and they give accounts, this is what he says. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. This is his view of the master. My master is a hard man. Okay, he sees the wealth. He sees the power. He sees the influence that this guy has. And the whole thing feels intimidating to him. And he says, that... That kind of a master, you know, nothing's going to be good enough for this kind of a master. If, if, I, if I screw this up, if I lose his money, if I take a risk and lose it, man, he's going to be hard on me. He's going to be harsh with me. And so the best thing you can do with that kind of a master is just to play it safe, right? Just don't lose the money. It's a lot of money. It's his money. I don't want to lose the money. He's a hard guy. The best thing I can do, the safest way to go is just play it safe, bury it, at least when he comes back and say, here, here's what you gave me. I didn't lose it. There, I've been faithful. He's got a view of his master as a hard man that leads him to this very cautious, fear-based, risk-averse response with what the master entrusted to him. And the master has a response And I want to focus on the beginning of his response. Look at how he responds. Verse 26, you wicked, lazy servant. And then he goes on. Notice he does not accept the description of himself as a hard man. He does not repeat that part of the description because he doesn't think he is a hard man. But he does accept the second part. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then if you knew that, You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Okay, if you know that I'm an investor who wants to expand my kingdom, well, then you should have at least put it in the bank so it would have expanded a little bit so I'd have a little bit more than when when I left you. What I think the master is saying to the servant is this. You don't really know me at all. You don't understand what I'm all about. You think I'm a hard man. And so you think the worst thing that you could do is to lose my stuff, to take a risk and have a failed investment and to come back empty-handed. That's what you think. But here's what you need to know about me most. The most important thing is this. I'm an investor. That's what I do. I'm not interested in maintaining my kingdom and making sure it stays safe. I want to grow it. I want to expand it. That's what I'm wanting to do. And I was inviting you to partner with me in the expansion of my kingdom, to go out and get creative and take some risks and try some things. Maybe they work, maybe they don't. But guess what? I can handle some losses. Okay? I can handle some failed investments. I've got resources that you, I have plenty of resources. I can handle losses. But I wanted you to partner with me in expanding my kingdom. The worst thing 
was not just to play it safe and keep it. The worst thing was to do nothing at all. The worst thing was to to not take on this adventure of trying to expand my kingdom and grow it. I think that right there is the heart of the parable. This servant's understanding versus what the master wanted. I want you to go out and try this. You seeing that? Yeah? Okay. So I realized something this week. Um, I don't like this parable. (laughs) It was like Thursday. I'm like, yeah, I don't like this parable. I don't like this parable. Uh, For a couple reasons. One, I, I am a rule follower. Uh, and if I were that servant and a guy says, here's a lot of my money, I want you to invest it. I'd be like, I'm happy to do that. What are the rules? You tell me, what's the blueprint? What's the rule book? How do you want me to do this? Do you want it in stocks? You, want it, you, know, you, you tell me, I'm happy to do that. Okay. You just tell me how to do it. And there's none of that in this parable. No, no, here's my stuff. You go out, invest it. How? That's up to you. <laughs> You go, try, risk, do this, see what happens. That is very hard for me, especially with someone else's money. And the other thing that is connected with that, I'm not a risk taker by nature, okay? Um, I don't like failure <laughs> by nature. Um, forgive this quote. But I, it came to my mind this week. It's a great quote, old Simpsons quote, Homer Simpson to his son Bart. Stay with me. <laughs> the quote is this, son, you tried and you failed. The lesson, never try. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly how I feel about life. Especially with someone else's money, right? And that's the worst thing. It would be to lose a lot of somebody else's money. I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to try that. Bearing a talent, that works great for me. Here it is, right? I didn't lose it. It's yours. It was yours before. It's yours then. Look, I've been faithful to keep this. I don't know how that strikes you. You We probably find ourselves across the spectrum in the rule-following, risk-taking category in life in general. But my guess is when it comes specifically to outreach, to sharing God's love, God's truth with other people, to expanding his kingdom, I would bet most of us can relate to this servant. Saying like, you know, when those opportunities are there, the last thing I want to do is screw them up, right? I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to do this wrong. Ah, that's the worst. It's awkward. I don't want to blow the opportunity I have. And so what we do is we just sort of pull away and we don't do anything. We just bury the talent. We play it safe. And at least I didn't blow it, right? I didn't give Christianity a bad name, whatever it might be. And so I, I, I just want to remind us all. I want to <laughs> remind myself this week of who our God is, who our Lord is, that he is not cautious. He is definitely not afraid. And he's an investor. He's a spiritual investor. He's an entrepreneurial kind of person who says, I've entrusted you with things. Now go, try, risk, do it, fail, succeed. Just do it. I can handle losses. I can harvest where I didn't even sow. I don't need you to succeed, but I'm inviting you to participate with me in the growing of my kingdom. And so it really comes down to what the apostle says that I've already quoted in this series. When it comes to being with people who don't know Jesus, he says, make the most of every opportunity. Take the opportunities. Take the risk. Go for it. Try. 
I've entrusted it to you. I'm not even going to tell you how to do it. Just do it. Try. Beautiful, convicting, challenging passage. All right, so let's get practical here on the tail end of this. A um, couple applications to this parable, of course. The, the most uh, you know, literal one would be think about how we use our financial resources, right? These guys were given money. So that's a great sermon. I've actually preached that sermon. How do we use our financial sermon uh, resources to further God's kingdom? Uh, many people also apply it to the idea of our talents, our gifts and abilities. Also very appropriate, I think, application. How do we use those for God's kingdom? I really think the, the, the parable can be applied to any opportunity that Jesus has entrusted to us. How do we make the most of those opportunities? So I want to focus in on this idea of play that I started with. These, these contexts that we've been given, uh, these passions that we already have, these places where we already find ourselves that are opportunities that present themselves to love people, to share Jesus with people, right? So I'm going to transition to that, and then we're going to hear one or two stories of how people in our own community are trying to do this in this context. So you've got this parable in your mind. Now let's, I want you to think about your own life. By play, I'm starting with passions. Um, what are your interests? What are your hobbies? What are your pursuits? What are the things that you just love to do? The things that when you have free time, this is the thing that pops up in your mind. This is where you want to go if you can. Uh, It might be activities. Maybe you love golf. Maybe you love basketball. Maybe you love to surf. Maybe you love to cycle. Maybe you love to hike. Maybe you love working out, okay? Activities, it could be uh, various interests. Um, You love to read good fiction, good poetry, you love music, you play an instrument, you love fine wine, you love making crafts, you're a World War II junkie, anything you can possibly come up with, okay? It can even be what shows do you like, you know? Are you a Lakers fan? Are you a, um, Lonzo got a triple-double last night, did you know that? Yeah, they lost, that's all right. Um, uh, Man, are you still faithfully watching The Bachelor after all these years? You know, I mean, it could, it could be anything, really. Um, what are the things that you naturally love to do? I want you to just take a minute to, to just identify in your own life what those things are, okay? There's a lot of them, but just identify a couple of them. What do you, what do you love to do? The idea is this. That's part of what Jesus has entrusted to you. And, and all of those things become opportunities, you know, to, to be outwardly focused. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You, you might watch football every Sunday afternoon. And there might be someone 20 yards away in another house watching the same games all afternoon. Well, there's an opportunity to watch the game together, you know. Go invite someone to go surfing with you. Um, let these passions drive new ministries for you. Maybe you would never lead a Bible study in your neighborhood, um, but you love to read, and you would lead a book club in your neighborhood where you're reading good stuff and you're having interesting conversations about life and what's good. There's all sorts of ways to think about this. And then the other category that I mentioned is um, what are the places? Where are the places that you naturally find yourself in month in, month out? Um, You're probably aware of this concept of third space. Uh, Your first space is your home. Your second space is your work. And then third space are these natural connection points with other people that kind of happen regularly and naturally, uh, whether they are Christians or they're not Christians. You you find yourself engaging with people. It could be, you know, the coffee shop that you frequent, uh, the restaurant that you guys like to go to, the 
the gym um, where you work out several times a week, the park where you take your kids, the community centers, whatever it might be. Okay, these places that you already find yourself in, um, and I would just, I mean, identify them. In your mind, think of right now, what is one third space that you are in every week? It could be, you know, uh, watching your kids' sports every Saturday. You're with the same parents watching the same soccer game, you know, or same football, whatever it might be. But what is that for you? And how can you think of those spaces become this opportunity for investment in God's kingdom? You know, maybe you, you choose a, a coffee shop or a restaurant. You're like, this is, this is going to be our place. This is going to be the place we go regularly. And I'm just going to self-nominate myself as the ambassador, you know, of this coffee shop. Um, Christ's ambassador. And I'm just going to, I'm going to approach this space with intention. I'm going to pray before I go into this space. I'm going to pray for the people that are here. I'm going to get to know the people who work here. I'm going to get to know some of the regulars. I'm just going to see this as an opportunity for uh, ministry. Okay, so many different ways we can do this. The idea is all of this is, are things that God is entrusting to us. And how can we go out and try and do things that might expand his kingdom? So I'm gonna, we're going to share uh, two stories from people in our community and what they're trying to do, how they're using their passions or their places to try to uh, reach out to those around them. The first one is uh, Phil Brown, who we already heard from. He obviously couldn't be here today. So he's going to share. Phil's got a love for football. And so he's, trying to, he's tried to turn that love for football into an opportunity for ministry. So it's about a three-minute clip here. Hi, I'm Phil Brown, and I love high school football. Uh, I started uh, my journey here to, at uh, Santa Ana High School by working with the coaches of all sports in a weekly, every other week uh, session, meeting with them on in Bible study and prayer and just encouraging and equipping them for the job they have in, in the public school setting. And in the midst of that, the football coach asked if I would come and lead a Bible study for his football team that would want to come to an optional Bible study. And that started two and a half years ago, and it's slowly grown. Uh, but it kind of came to a culmination last year when we were meeting every week uh, for uh, Bible study and prayer uh, with those players that wanted to come. And uh, uh, the, I was in a home group, and uh, everybody in my home group wanted to help bring help me bring pizza to the kids so they'd come at the noontime uh, program. And uh, so they did that. And then it led to uh, an FCA camp opportunity that uh, FCA offers to uh, student-athletes at, at UCLA, and I had 11 of the football players sign up to go to that uh, camp, and uh, my home group helped pay their way, uh, and my Axios group did the same, and so did some of the men in the senior Bible study group that I go uh, to. So um, that was really a huge uh, development for the for the program, and they went to that camp and had their lives changed. And when they came back, they uh, were really uh, passionate for their faith in Christ. And uh, during the summer, uh, after that camp, uh, I had two of the players come to uh, 
uh, Dave Oslem's going away party at, at uh, the Reds, and two of the players came and spoke to the, to the whole group to thank them for their support at the camp, and they were just uh, very, very well spoken and did a great job. And there is really a great opportunity out there for anybody in the church that wants to do something like this at a different high school. There are just a number of high schools, I think, that would really welcome somebody coming in and making, wanting to make a difference for their, their people, their kids. So an example of a guy who had a love for football and let that drive him into this great ministry with high school kids. And then it's fun to see how our community rallied around and how those kids blessed our community. Really great um, ministry all around. So Jim Williams is going to come on up uh, and share. He has a very different context than football. He likes riding bikes. He sells bikes. Does lots with bikes, apparently. And he's got a fantastic story to share with us. That's motorcycles, <clears throat> not bicycles. Um, a real quick story before I start uh, about Helen Swan. Um, the first time my wife and I came to Grace, Helen came and talked to us, uh, introduced herself. And after about three or four minutes, I asked her, how did you know this was our first time at Grace? And she said, because you're here early. <laughs> and that's a true story. So as Dave said, my name is, is Jim, and Annie, uh, my wife Annie uh, and I have been coming to Grace for about uh, five years now. Some of you may know me as that motorcycle guy because we own a small motorcycle shop across the freeway. So I am very blessed that I get to work where I play. And of course, if you ask my wife, it's also where I live. <laughs> I'm a recovered alcoholic and have about nine years sobriety. Uh, when God took the obsession, oh, thank you, thank you, <clears throat> thank you. So God took that obsession away from me, and I was so grateful to Him for that that I wanted to give back in a big way. So I quit my job, went back to school, and decided to become a pastor. And after graduating, I felt absolutely no calling to be a pastor, <laughs> none whatsoever. So I just went back to work. And that made me feel ashamed because I felt like I had let God down again. And uh, that didn't feel good. OC Motorcycle, it's kind of a unique dealership because not only do we sell and service motorcycles, but we also rent to people who have a passion for motorcycles. So we get people from all over the world, uh, different backgrounds, socioeconomic, men, women, rich, poor, different faiths, faiths into our shop to share their passion for motorcycle riding. Every Friday, there's a group of us who ride out to Cook's for lunch. And I'm lucky to be able to do that. So I started inviting some of my customers to go with us, um, whether they were there for rentals or they lived in the area and had uh, serviced their bikes or bought a bike. Um, but I felt that if they wanted to go, I wanted them to be there. So one of my customers' name is Rafiq. About five years ago, Rafiq moved from Syria um, to get away from the, the violence that was in there. And so I invited him to go to Cook's with us. And as we were sitting there eating, I realized that we had a Jew, a Christian, and a Muslim at the table. And I thought, this is like a bad joke. 
you know, a Jew, a Muslim, and a Christian walk into a biker bar. <laughs> and uh, at any rate, we got to share our faith. We started sharing our faith in an intentional way, and we acknowledged that there's differences. There's differences that we really can't reconcile, but we decided to shove those aside and really concentrate on the things that we had in common. And, of course, I want them to convert to my faith, but I'm sure they wanted me to convert to their faith also. But we decided that our friendship and love for each other was more important than that. Rafiq and I quickly became friends, and we started to go to dinner with our wives, and we also invited uh, Rafiq and Rania to our small group to share their Muslim faith. Um, So we can get to understand it better. There's so much uh, noise out in the world about the Muslim faith, and I just felt that it was better for us to know what it was rather than to have people tell us, you know, what it was, what we hear on on television. Do you have that picture? Here it is. That's me famously underdressed. (laughs) Yes, dear, you were right. I should have worn a tie. So we were invited to, their daughter recently got engaged, and we were invited to this uh, engagement party. And uh, we walked into this, uh, it was a Syrian restaurant in Anaheim, and we walked into a big room with about 80 people there, and they were all speaking Arabic. And I don't know if you've ever gone uh, to a group or an event or something where you knew no one, but uh, just imagine going to that event where they weren't speaking your language. So it was very difficult for us to communicate, but they made us feel so welcome and so loved that we were just completely blown away. So much joy and love in that room. And there was, here was two families not only sharing this beautiful covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, but also the blending of these two families together. And I'm so grateful for this friendship that I have with Rafiq, and I truly feel that God has brought us together. So my calling from God was not to do something big, because I figure God has big taken care of. God's calling me to be small, intentional, sharing my faith and love with others in a very gentle and compassionate way. And it's ironic, because I went to a Christian university for two years to find my calling, and instead found it in a biker bar. Who says God does not have a sense of humor? Thank you. So good. I told him he missed his calling uh, at, the, at the end of first service, but clearly did not. Uh, Rafiq was actually here first service, and uh, which was really cool. Yeah, so I love. All I, I want to end, Jim. You said it. God's got big taken care of, man. Right? He harvests where he doesn't sow. He has resources that we can't possibly imagine. And he's just inviting us into the small, daily, faithful step. And we take the risk and see what he does with it. I think it's a great way to end. So let's close in prayer and we'll worship our Lord through song. Well, Father, we want to have open hands to you to say, take whatever you've entrusted to us, our wealth, our work, our homes, our passions, our hobbies, even the, our, the place we find ourselves, take it. We want it. 
we want to offer it to you. Uh, We offer it to you and we pray that um, you'd give us boldness and courage and joy to go try some things and be willing to fail, knowing that um, you're fine with our failures. That doesn't bother you one bit. But enjoying the partnership that we have with you to try to further your kingdom in whatever ways you're calling us. So we want to walk out with open hands for that purpose, Lord, to take what what we have and um, to use it for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.